0: Welcome to the Friendly Fire Podcast, a Navy SEAL Museum production. Hi, I'm Rick Kaiser, retired Navy SEAL Master Chief and Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy SEAL Museum here in Fort Pierce, Florida, the birthplace of the Navy SEALs. We are recording from inside the museum's own Mark V assault craft. And now I'm gonna introduce my good friend, Tim Nichols.
1: Hello everyone out there. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My name is Tim Nichols, retired Marine and professor at Duke University. I'm super excited to participate in this, and I think we have a lot of cool things to talk about.
0: Hey, welcome to the second season of the Friendly Fire Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Master Chief Retired Rick Kaiser, the Chief Operating Officer of the Navy SEAL Museum and Navy SEAL Experience out in San Diego. I want to welcome you back. Um, We've had a little break and uh, we're getting we got re-energized to be able to talk about uh, many different subjects, but most of all, you know, my friend Tim Nichols and I speak from two sides of the of the fence, and uh, we come in the middle and oftentimes agree that uh, everybody's screwed up and we're the smart ones. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> You're up, Tim.
1: All right, well, everybody, it's good to Rick. It's good to see you again, and uh, maybe. After I do a short introduction, you can tell listeners uh, who haven't joined us before where you're broadcasting from, because I think that's a pretty interesting story. But uh, my name is Tim Nichols. Uh, Rick and I have been friends for decades, and we don't exactly see the world the same way, but we both uh, love our country, and we, uh, we enjoy disagreeing with each other, and at the end of it, uh, we, we remain friends, and we agree to disagree. And every once in a while, Rick will convince me that he's right. And uh, much more frequently, I'll convince Rick that I'm right. Uh, So Rick, where are you broadcasting from?
0: We are broadcasting from the National Navy Seal Museum in Fort Pierce, Florida, on board the Mark V Assault Craft on the museum grounds. Um, We have many different things here at the Navy Seal Museum, and this happens to be one of them. And we are in the Woodford Reserve Lounge because all seal boats need to have a a lounge, a bar lounge below decks. Well done. At least at the museum. (laughs) so uh it's been a couple years or
1: it's actually it's it's been a little bit over a year and uh, we've pretty much gotten through the pandemic and uh, now we're focused on uh, getting back to normal getting americans out and about i'm sure your visitation at the museum has skyrocketed now since uh, people are more mobile so how are things going down there
0: i'll tell you what tim i think What I tell people is like, thank God we live in the free state of Florida because we've never been shut down except at the very beginning. We were shut down for about two months and, uh, you know, Governor DeSantis opened up the state and uh, we have been flourishing ever since. Good. Um, Now, of course, in the last, you know, six to 12 months, we've seen much, much higher numbers because people are more people are getting out and about. Yeah. rather than just Floridians. So we've been having a lot of uh, tourists visit us, um, and it's good to see everybody back. Now, COVID, yeah. as you know, is not going away. Uh, we're a little downturn right now as far as uh, visitation, just because that's Florida. Everybody's right. back to school, and we'll start picking up again in October, and it'll be strong until May. That's our season. If you didn't know it in Florida, is October to May.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you you also um, you have a big... Uh, event coming up. the uh, It's called like the Stump Muster or the uh, reunion where you get a bunch of retired frogmen to uh, tell lies and um, and have some music and fun. And then you're also, aren't you wor- working on a new museum out, out west?
0: Yeah, there's a couple things going on. We have the uh, Navy SEAL Muster, which is Veterans Day weekend, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Awesome. Uh, it's actually before Veterans Day because uh, Veterans Day falls in the middle of the week. But mm-hmm. uh, where we get about 10,000 people come to visit us here at the museum and we have a it's just a big gathering of not only Navy Seals but but the public and we have uh, live music, we have demonstrations, we have all sort of uh, dinners. Uh it's just a great time to be here and celebrate, you know, veterans. Uh, if you're not veterans a
1: seal, Day. can you come?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Um, as as a matter of fact, there's more non-seals than seals, you know. Oh, okay. Okay, yes. good.
1: And Elaine is considered the hostess uh, for that uh, large event? Yeah, she'll
0: be planning all the dinners, all that stuff. (laughs) And Um, if anything goes wrong? Yeah, yeah, just call her.
1: (laughs) And then you said something about Navy SEAL experience. What was that?
0: Yeah, the Navy SEAL experience, as you know, we've been working on it hard to try to open up another museum in San Diego, California. Um, That's still an ongoing process. We are, you know... In the middle of negotiations with for property but i know you love that i know you love that stuff because you're you're all about business i know
1: no i think business uh distinguishes america from the rest of the world we have a vibrant business we have an incredibly innovative economy uh we're putting some incredible kids through college who have great ideas and things they want to do and so uh, i don't want to do anything to tamp down that initiative but at the same time, all of those committees have interests, and those interests are probably equally important. So, the acme for people like you, uh, you know, with uh, senior executives is to weave it all together and make it work, right? And it's, it, you never thought it would take, you never thought it would be short, did you?
0: No, I didn't. But, we're, yeah. you know, the SEAL motto is never quit. So, right. But I do exactly. want to bring up something that you just brought up, and that was college. Okay. And how and I want to tell you how grateful I am that uh, I'm going to be paying off student loans for many a college student out there that uh, wasn't responsible enough to take care of their own.
1: Okay. Uh, so, I, could you rephrase the? Is this a question or a statement? No, it's just a
0: statement because I know you're going to say something like, "Oh, everybody deserves to have free education," and blah blah blah. And I don't, I do not agree with that at uh-huh. all. Yeah.
1: Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to go down this path, my my feeling is that um, public schools are heavily subsidized by taxpayers, right? Uh, so Florida schools are um, heavily subsidized by property taxes. Um, North Carolina schools are heavily subsidized by property and income taxes. So people are already chipping in, right? They're already paying. Um, every single person in North Carolina, whether whether their kids go to college in North Carolina or not, are are paying for the North Carolina 16 or 18 colleges that are part of the the UNC system. So whether you like it or not, you're already you're paying for other people. Right,
0: but that's but that's an agreement between the people and the and the states and the, their constitutions and how they pay for that. This we we didn't have a choice. This was an edict by. Your, your dictator uh, the current administration um, saying that we're gonna just pay these loans off and what about the people that actually were responsible and paid their own loans off so it's like yeah. I don't see there's no there's no fairness in this at all and that's so why I, I don't understand why I guess I see this as a big vote grab to be honest with you so you think? yeah yeah so I'm'm I'm, yeah so w- when they go to the voting booth they're gonna think well this this party, You know, paid off my student loans. Man, what a great deal. I'm going to vote for them.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, Although I think that he does all right in that age group without this, um, in that age group of of voters. But I I think that uh, there's a holistic approach. We're like trying to get America healthier, right? And and this is one one hundredth of the effort. There's a lot of other things going on. Uh, to try to get America the vibrancy of our economy, uh, the curiosity of our our undergraduate and graduate students to pursue um, innovation and pursue new industries. And uh, Rick, I'm not an economist by trade, so I don't know exactly uh, what the policy uh, analysis was for this. But if, in fact there are Americans who would other, who could otherwise thrive but are feeling the burden of this uh, college, you know, long-term college debt. And, and I don't know who it's targeting because I don't know if it's people that haven't paid back the debt from 20 years ago or if it's people that are just getting out now and they are trying to get jobs, but they have so much debt um, that they're, they're, you know, they're somewhat paralyzed by their economic opportunity. Then if an economist says, hey, look, forgiving this amount of debt, because I don't think it's, it's uh, all of the debt, but this will give them the ability to engage in the economy better, then, um, then I'm, I'm supportive of it. I know your argument is, yeah, but I did it differently. And the only context I would give you is if we made decisions today uh, based on what you did in the 90s and the 2000s, the economic model would have to be the same. The economy's different. Um, the the Finally, the um, unemployment rate is starting to go back down. But if this relates to helping young people who are just getting out of college get jobs and actually sustain themselves, then I'm for it. If it's pro- If it's for relieving people that graduated from college 20 years ago, and they just were negligent on their debts, that's a different problem. So I'd have to We'd have to, I think, investigate this just a little bit more before we uh, come up with a bumper sticker slogan.
0: Well, I, (laughs) well, first of all, known to do. Yes, you know that. (laughs) I'm I'm against it, but I think there's a bigger problem here, and I think the whole uh, advanced education concept that we've been pushing down people's throats for the last, you know, let's say, twenty to thirty years, has been like the path to success is college, right? Even though we know that. Over half the people that go to college don't graduate. Okay. And a good percentage of those, let's say, you know, of that 50%, 30% of them that do graduate don't go into the field that they, you know, that they actually took in in school. So okay. I think, and I don't know how you can argue against this, it's a failed concept. It's not... Uh, the way that this country should be going and and that's why you're having such a hard time with like basic skills like uh, plumbers and electricians and auto mechanics every every job that we need in this country to 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 move forward right we're not getting it because they're getting sold this this pitch line all throughout school you know from k through 12 you got to go to college if you want to be somebody
1: yeah yeah well, um, Elaine, mark this down because I agree with Rick uh, on this. Now, I agree. Thank
0: you. Wait a second. Yeah. I, man, I'm going to have some, like, some lights that I can hold up whenever that happens.
1: That's right. So I totally agree with you um, as it relates to people not needing to go to college to have a trade, a profession, a skill a craft, a vocation that they should be able to feed their family and be really good at. I I totally agree with you. Now, leaving high school, I would say that if you don't go to some kind of advanced uh, training, and it doesn't need to be college, then high school really doesn't prepare people for the workforce, and our economy doesn't thrive when we have on-the-job training as the final preparation for someone for a, a, a career, a work, you know, a 30 or 40 years of contributing to the U.S. economy. But you mentioned, you know, bricklayers and plumbers and roofers and contractors and uh, other types of skills that are absolutely essential in today's economy, not needing a college degree. And you're absolutely right, Rick. I mean, it, it, some people, uh, I, I don't think there's any downside to college in terms of making people... Uh, more understanding of the world, maybe better communicators, uh, being able to network in college. That's a real thing, uh, building some advanced skills. But, but if you know exactly what you want to do and you don't need college to do that, uh, then I think it's a, it's a, um, insincere argument to say, yeah, but you still have to go to college. If you, if you know that you want to be a guy who, uh, does uh, takes over his father's plumbing business. You can go to a trade school. You can go to a vocational school, um, incur a lot less debt, and really serve the nation and serve uh, your community. And ideally, you have a, a, a good profession that that uh, enables you to have a career, it sa- put some savings together, have a family, pay for them, do all that type of stuff without having stepped foot in college, the military is another um, example. I know you uh, went into the military right after high school, and how many years? Like twenty-five years, you served. Um, yep.
0: You know. Yep. So I I'm I'm uh, keep. You, I'm going to keep you on track here. Okay. So the, with the college thing, it, it's full. We just came full circle. You know, not all these kids need to go to college. They get pitched this line. They go to college. They build this tremendous amount of debt because unfortunately they're not taught what they need to know in high school as far as you know saving money getting a job doing all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden all this debt's built up over the last four years of their yeah college experience what whatever that's you know depending on the kids some of them go to party they have a, you know good dorm life that you know they make it through, and then they're like now I have a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt what am I yeah. going to do and I'm not saying everybody's like that I know many many that are responsible you know work a job or two try to build down that debt by the time they graduate you know and then and then figure out what to do in the workforce i I just think that's our number one problem and if we would take care of that, but I don't see how we can change that system from within because the just the way the uh you know the teachers' unions r- rule with an iron fist about what it, what is taught and what isn't taught in these mm-hmm. schools, and I think a lot of it is doing harm to the country. To be honest with you, well, and I, I can and I could go give you an yeah. example by example. Like, I think our our main skills: reading, writing, and arithmetic. I don't know. I don't need to know about some of these pronouns. I don't need to know about all this other stuff that's going on. It's distracting our kids from learning what they need to be constructive adults.
1: Yeah. Uh, but a lot of other uh, families uh, want a more, uh, a broader curriculum and
0: they vote. Yeah, they, they teach them at and, home.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, some do. Uh, but what I'm saying is that's your, that's you're one of 330 million opinions and other parents might come at it a little differently and say, Hey, look, we want, we want, um, you know, We want these topics covered. One of the things you didn't mention that concerns me greatly is government, civics, history, understanding what country you're in, understanding how we got where we got. I think part of the problem that we've had in the last decade or so is that we're tripping over uh, problems that have manifested before in our history. Very similar um, incidents have happened where U.S. citizen trust in government is really low. Well, Uh, It's not a surprise to people who study history. We've been through situations like that. So the curriculum, I think, Rick, I think you're right. I think it should focus on these basic skills. But if you graduate from high school strong in reading, writing, and arithmetic, you're not really prepared for the world um, in terms of the the jobs that are available and, most importantly, the jobs that could become careers. So you come out of high school and you have a couple paths. The military is a great path. Uh, you know, it, it uh, takes people. It shows them lots of different. It gives them exposure to lots of different skills, and uh, they can make a career out of it. If you choose not to, then college is another pathway. Uh, advanced vocational school is another pathway. Uh, or you know, in America, you can you can go work for your family. You can do whatever you want. But the, I think the problem is that if you're 18 years old and you don't do something that gives you a skill that makes more than the minimum wage then you're at age 30 the minimum wage will no longer be satisfactory to you to what you need uh, if you have a family so we're trying to propel people um into a you know into a trajectory where it's not just a job and they're not just we live living week by week. They have a skill that has value to it. A dental um, hygienist doesn't need to go to college, but because of that credential that that person has, and they could be cleaning teeth, they could be assisting dentists, they make pretty decent money. And before, before you know it, if they have a family they they get benefits, they have uh, an income and they can raise a family. So my only argument back to you, Rick, is we the United States has to create a system that allows people to enter into um, the, the layers of the economy that sustain themselves. And McDonald's jobs don't do it. And it doesn't matter how much we pay. And, and I, to their credit, McDonald's is trying to beat minimum wage. But that job is very difficult unless you're in management to have a career. It's, it's good money and it, it gets kids spending money. And some families can make
0: it work, but well, it's, it's not, not a good be, trajectory. Exactly, it's not meant to be a career. It never right. was. Right. So. By these people wanting the, to raise the uh, minimum wage for those types of workers, The guy out there spinning signs on a street corner here in Florida is making the same as the person in McDonald's is making. A, um, if you if value uh, somebody that makes a good cup of coffee that gets this this great wage, I'm like this. Those jobs were never meant to be careers. They're right. It's just stepping stones on the on your path to success. Okay. So what but prepares there, you but, for the next step? More, more either whether it's the path you were talking about you either go to college you go to a trade school right. you become an apprentice uh, many different paths yeah. um but you know thinking that you're going to survive as a barista at Starbucks is not the answer yeah. and that's what they're trying and that's another you know thing they're trying to force down our throat that this is a viable um solution for for our country and and jobs and stuff that's it's not it's not it's, it's temporary. It should be temporary on your path up the chain. Unless you become a manager or something like that. It's yeah, part of sure. Bucks. But I, I agree with you. I think,
1: I think the government's uh, position or the government's approach is to try to create the opportunity to have a path. And if you're a barista and you want to do something else, there has to be a way for you to do that. Or else you end up with... Uh, You know, kind of this uh, rigid cultural stagnation where people who are working class can't uh, find jobs or have skills that move them up into the middle class or middle class to the upper class. So, the question is, how do you get there? And what's the government's role in that? Please say, please don't say the government has no role in that. Because if that's the case, then you're disadvantaging a large part of the population that may have a lot of productivity that we can benefit from, but they can't get from point A to point B. Uh, and there are plenty of countries out there that have these kind of artificial caste systems where no matter how smart and capable you are, you can't get to, um, to, to where you want to go. And our country's trying. We don't have it perfect, Rick, but yeah. I do think that those pathways are viable and I do think that, that high school isn't enough. And so whatever they are, uh, the government's job is to use the tax base to try to create uh, the movement and the opportunity uh, for people to do that through the states, of course. And some states are really good at it and other states are less good at it. But, you know, our our government isn't supposed to be that centralized. It's supposed to use the resources to help the
0: states succeed. Would you not agree? I agree i think the national government should have a limited uh say on what goes on in education in the states i do agree with you that the state should provide that the like the community colleges the trade school uh pass all those other paths we were just talking about i don't have any issue with using you know uh, taxpayer money to fund those types of things but they but when they get involved and they put stipulations on how they can use that money and how they can spend it at the community college level or whatever, um, I think that's too far. Um, we nationally, you know, you see what happens when they try to uh, put down a uh, like uh, the core value learning and the the yeah. uh, Common Core and that kind of stuff. Uh, it does it it doesn't work. It's got to be a community based system individual and then i mean as and as big as a state but not national because what you teach the kids in new york city is not the same thing that you're going to teach them in you know kansas you know kansas city can it's different it, everybody's different and you have to cater to that try to make it cookie cutter just doesn't cut it
1: well um so you say there's no common baseline but you just mentioned reading writing arithmetic you and i talked about civics And those are topics that I think need to be taught much more broadly than New York City or Kansas. I think every American, um, every kid that goes up in the American school system needs a firm baseline that, you know, when I'm uh, visiting the military bases, it's uh, sometimes amazing how unfamiliar uh, military people are with the Constitution. And some of the things they say are just not factual. And I look at it, I go, it's not really the military's fault. There's no classes in constitutional uh, frameworks. It's the high schools' fault that sent them there, and they don't—they didn't do enough to teach them. And now these people in the military who are protecting and defending the Constitution have no idea what it says, and that—that that concerns me. So, I do agree that the states should be impactful. Uh, that they, the states should be very involved and effective, and. and producing the type of educational product. But I think the federal government has a role, Department of Education, using resources, um, helping with uh, especially schools that are under um, resourced, you know, North Dakota, uh, these that has so few people that the tax base doesn't support good schools. Well, then I think the federal government's job is to help North Dakota meet a standard, bring them up, give them the resources or the assistance, whatever's necessary uh, to help those people meet whatever that basic standard is. And the standard is something that the representatives in Congress, House and Senate from all 50 states uh, come up with and help the president. And uh, we have we have laws that these states have agreed to that say, yeah, we, we should probably have some, some basic uh, standards that we work towards. And then the high tax states like you know Vermont and in um, California now, if they want to do more, that's fine. But there ought to be a basic, don't you think? There should be a you know yeah no
0: there should there should be a baseline in there yeah. somewhere. Um, I don't know who determines that baseline. I think it has to be uh, people from fle- all states. Flexible, right? yeah. But you know, when's the last time that? people from all states agreed on anything you know it's um,
1: congress they vote <laughs> they, they, they do it all the time they just don't agree on
0: stuff that you know it's clear as
1: this it's always like garbled language yeah.
0: uh, i don't even know if it's clear You know we you and i are clear on it but when it gets to you know those levels of government it becomes um controversial okay you know? so let
1: me ask you the big question we're probably running out of time but I want to ask you this question because you said something that I disagree with. I want to see how you stand on it.
0: Wait a second. I'm, uh, so I'm I'm one for zero right now. I could be one for one. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm ready. No. I
1: thought, yeah. I thought you did a great. I mean, you made a good argument. But here, you said something about um, now it's my responsibility to help other people with tuition assistance. So let me ask a broader uh, question. I feel, and my premise is this: I feel like you've benefited. Uh, for being an American citizen you personally uh, you had a a very glorious career in the military Uh, you're getting retirement and disability Um, you have a great job in Florida you do a great job you're smart Uh, you travel a lot you know you have a happy family you're safe in your house Um, and so none I don't think all of those things would be available to you if you lived in a different country so Correct. assuming that we all benefit a little bit from the, the society that we live in, where are you on just what it means to be a citizen and what it means to um, your relationship with other citizens?
0: Uh, you know, it, it, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the uh, with the Constitution and civics and all, and all that. If you don't have that base understanding, you know, it was it's always been my duty. Especially when I joined the the um, military, was to f- fight for our country, correct? Our values, our our Constitution, defend what our we, country. Yeah, yeah. You know, life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Right. That's uh, you know, and it was my job to make sure, and your job, Tim, uh, to make sure that the people had that ability f- for that, you know, God given right. That's you know what it doesn't get more simpler than that. But but is that where it ends?
1: I mean, I know for a fact that if you were driving down the A one A and there was someone in distress, I I know deep down Rick that it doesn't matter that you don't have a relationship with them; you'd stop and help them, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, maybe where does that come from? My where parents. does that come from? It comes from my parents. And where do you? It where how do you?
1: You know, did you? And so we could ask this question two generations earlier, and I think sometimes we forget that there's a lot of good stuff happening around us that is not our own doing. And, um, and when we say it's an us, them mentality, it's a false observation because there's all, you know, there, there's so much good around us. And the question is, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm also going to give to the common good. And, when people say i don't i shouldn't have to give to the common good it concerns me because they're benefiting from it whether it's tangible it's something they see every day or not and i don't know the exact recipe but i know that right now if i called 911 like young men and women would come and help me and i pay for that but that's more than that they're members of my community so if i saw them in distress i would do the same thing yeah but
0: you have but you have a say On how your 911 system works in your city. You have a say in that because you vote for your politicians. You do this, you do that. Correct. Uh, When when they said they were going to forgive student loan or a a number of student loans, I'm not even sure what the dollar amount is. We didn't have a choice in that. Nor was it put to, I mean, I think if it was put to the people, uh, red or blue, I think most would have said no. You know, because I, I, that's what I believe on both sides. Because yeah, it's think, not, it's, you're setting them up for failure. Yeah.
1: I think maybe what you believe is they didn't make a compelling argument to Rick Kaiser. You, you weren't convinced. I don't think
0: they made a compelling argument to anybody yeah. other than, you know, we're going to help these people out because we can. I mean, you could go down a list of 100 things where we should be spending money. And I think... Sp- uh, taking care of kids' college loans is lower on the list than other things.
1: Oh, that that may that may very well be true. I, I what I'm but what I hear you saying is the argument that they made was unconvincing to you. So uh, one of the roles of our elected leaders is to convince, right? It's to compel people to say, "I may disagree with it, but at least I know where he or she is coming from." Or Actually, they changed my mind. And politicians are allowed to change their minds um, if there's a better argument. So uh, I would say the ding on the administration is they did a poor job of explaining that this relates to something else and that something else may be for the greater good. Obviously, you're not convinced.
0: Oh, hell no. So uh, it was also about timing. Right before the midterms. It's fantastic. It's wonderful how that worked. And speaking of timing, we got (laughs) to (laughs) go. Season 2, Episode 1 is now in the can. I want to say thanks to everybody for watching the uh, Friendly Friendly Fire podcast. Uh, I'm Rick Kaiser, my good friend Tim Nichols. Uh, You can get us on Apple Podcasts and NavySealMuseum.org. Thanks, everybody.